Well, good morning. Man, it is great to be here in Robinson, and uh, we're not meeting at a theater any longer, not meeting at PTI any longer. Isn't it great to have this place right here to meet in? Yeah. Washington campus in Robinson and Southfields is a great spot. We want you guys to come out and see this, and we're just so thankful on behalf of all of our campuses, everyone who's participated in Beyond These Walls, everyone who has given, everyone who has given generously and sacrificially, this is why we do it. And we're so thankful that we are at this spot, and uh, on behalf of the elders and staff, we just want to say thank you uh, for uh, giving and allowing us uh, to be in this building. You know, uh, the, the, the key leader at every campus is our campus pastor. And we, we have some all-star campus pastors. We have Dave Donato in Wilkinsburg. Man, he does a fantastic job. Uh, Zeb Thomas in Washington doing a fantastic job. And I just wanted to see if the Robinson Group would agree with me that Tom Rojan is doing a great job here in... Yeah. So I, I got a story I have to tell you. And I admit I've been holding off on this story until an appropriate opportunity. And I feel like this is an appropriate opportunity. This is a chance for the whole Bible chapel to hear a story about Tom Rojan. So this spring, we get to go to Israel. And um, it was a great trip. Um, Alan Booth was there. And... Uh, he was wearing a musician's scarf most of the time and skinny jeans, and we said, Alan, you can't, you can't do that. You can't do that. So we got him, we got him uh, fixed before he, he started here. And then uh, Tom, um, he was walking around. We were walking around Israel, and it was a great trip. And then we go to Jordan. There were several of us that went to Jordan. And that was a great trip in and of itself. But while we were in Jordan, and again, I got other people witnesses. While we're in Jordan, we're walking around. And all these teenage girls start pointing at us and giggling. And, uh, I mean, the rest of us know it's not us. <laughs> and uh, they're, they're looking at Tom. They think Tom is an American Hollywood movie star. <laughs> it was great. And they won pictures with Tom. So I mean, we were happy to oblige, right? Tom, get over here, Tom. And so we took these pictures with Tom. Now, when it died down a little bit, we would, we'd, we'd egg it on a bit. So just think about this. This is a scary thought. Don't think about it long. But all over Jordan, there are these posters of Tom Big Head right there for all these teenage girls. We thought about marketing and selling it uh, over in Jordan, but uh, we had a good time with that. And it probably won't be the last time uh, you hear uh, that story. We do uh, appreciate so much Tom here. We appreciate Amanda. And uh, God's doing some great things. Let's, let's pray. We're going we're gonna to have prayer of dedication, and we're going to invite all the campuses to do that here at the end. But let's pray now for us as we look into God's Word that He just speak to our hearts. Lord, you, you know exactly where we are today. You know if we are your child uh, or not. And we may be kind of thinking about it. We may be in process. You know uh, if we're going through a great time of blessing. You know if we're going through a really difficult stretch. Uh, you know exactly what, you know if there's any hidden sin. 
You, you know the sin that keeps uh, dogging us and, and dragging us down. You know areas of our heart that are hardened towards you. We don't let anyone in, not even you. And I pray today, Lord, that you would uh, you'd do your work. Open our ears so we can hear. Maybe some things for the first time that we really recall hearing them. We, we pray that you would open our minds to, to, to absorb, to understand. We pray you'd open our hearts to just let in the truth from your word. Lord, we have absolutely nothing to say unless it comes from your word. And so we pray that you, you would do your work uh, in our lives today. Don't let us leave here the same person uh, that walked in those doors. Uh, stir us, move us, impassion us for the things you have us to do. We pray those things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, working our way through the fascinating book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, and uh, we're looking at kind of a two-part sermon here on on, um, God's preparing a leader, the preparation of a leader. What does God do to prepare someone? And when I say leader, I'm not talking about the campus pastor or someone like that. I'm talking about you, because every one of us in some way of our life we are influencing other people. People are looking at us, and we need to be ready, and we need to be prepared. So what does God do in our life? Last time we saw that God is sovereignly at work. He is always at work in our lives, allowing us to do the things He's calling us to do. One thing we drilled home last time is that God never wastes our time. He never wastes our time, whatever you're going through. Great time of blessing, difficult valley. God does not waste our time. Whatever He's taking you through today, He's using it to prepare you for tomorrow. God doesn't waste our time. We saw that in in Moses' life. The sovereign God was working. Sovereign God protected him and saved him from being thrown in the Nile, like Pharaoh was having all the boys thrown into the Nile. He saved him. He, He provided Moses with the best of the best of Egypt. Moses had the best education, the best food, the best clothing the best experience he could have had for the first 40 years of his life. And then God put in his heart the seed of a rescuer. Moses wanted to rescue the children of Israel. He knew that he was an Israelite. He knew he was a Hebrew, and he wanted to rescue them. So he goes out one day. He sees an Egyptian beating up on an Israelite. He takes over. He kills the Egyptian. He thinks that the people, he thinks the people will realize he's there to rescue, but they don't get it at all. And he has to run for his life. When Pharaoh finds out about the fact he killed an Egyptian, he runs for his life, and he has to run to Midian, this desert, barren land. So we think, oh, it's over for Moses. But God's just getting started because he never wastes our time, does he? There's where God takes over in some gracious training. God confirmed Moses' passion. You remember he had that heart of a rescuer, So he goes, he's in Midian, he's sitting by a well. These shepherdesses come, some bully shepherds won't let him get the water from the well. He takes over because he has a heart of a rescuer and God wants to see that. God's confirming in him, oh Moses, away from the limelight, away from Egypt, away from this great deliverer of Israel from Egypt, I want to see if you'll steal when no one else is looking. Rescue those in need. Moses passes that test. We see that God melted and molded his heart. We see that in the names of his kids. Remember, this one boy was named Gershom. And Gershom means a stranger in an alien land. 
So Moses knew he wasn't supposed to be there. That wasn't the place he was supposed to be. His other son was named Eliezer, which means my God, helper. All of his life, even in the desert land, Moses knew that God was his helper, that anything good happened. It was because of God, that he needed God desperately. And it's like, boy, all of us need that, right? We need God desperately in our life. And we also see how, how, how God taught Moses the lay of the land. Remember, for 40 years, he was the shepherd of his father-in-law's sheep. He took them all over the area of Midian. And that's going to be the same place that he leads the children of Israel for 40 years as they wander in the desert. He knew where the water was. He knew where the pastures were. He knew the places to stay away from. He knew where the enemies were. For 40 years, God taught him God does not waste our time. We come to chapter 3 of Exodus. Moses is 80 years old. 80 years old. At this point in his life, you've got to think that he believed God was done with him. God had set him on the sidelines. He had his shot back in Egypt. He, 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 he had that heart of a rescuer, but he stepped out of God's timing. So God's over. God's not going to work with me anymore. But God's never done. God is never done using us. In fact, God's biggest assignment was ahead of him. I'm going to remind you, whoever, whoever you are today, whatever you're doing, whatever age, whatever stage, whatever's happened in your past, whatever you're going through right now, God is not done with you. His greatest assignment is ahead of you. He's got some tremendous things for you to do. Here's the way. You know how you can know when God's done with you? You're dead. It's over. You have passed from death to life, right, if you're a believer. That's how you know. But as long as there's breath in your body, God is working with you, and God is not finished with Moses. And we see the first thing, his great calling, God gets our attention. God has a way of getting our attention, doesn't he? So Moses is out tending the sheep uh, at Mount Horeb. Again, that's another name for Mount Sinai, where the law is going to be given later on. We'll see that in Exodus. And Moses sees this strange sight. He sees this bush, and it's on fire. That was strange enough. It's on fire, but it's not burning up. Most things, when they're on fire, they burn up, right? But this bush just keeps burning. Remember, Moses is writing this, so he says in chapter 3, verse 3, so Moses thought, I'm going to go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. So it's like Moses is thinking to himself, man, that is really weird. I've got to get closer to figure this out. Why in the world... Is that bush not burning up? When he approached, back up a verse, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames from within the fire, uh, from the uh, flames of the fire from within the bush. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him from the fire. Fire in Scripture is always a symbol of God's presence. In fact, later on, God's going to appear in flames in a, even a more dramatic fashion when the law is given in that same area, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 19, 18, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed from, uh, up from it like a smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. Fire is a symbol of God's presence. Look at verse 4. When the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to the bush, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, here I, Moses said, here I am. 
Now, let's just do some, let's just stop there, some basic Bible study methods, okay? Look at verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from where? Then the bush, right? Got that? Now go to verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over, God, God called to him from where? Within the bush. So, so who does the angel of the Lord have to be? God. God is the angel of the Lord. Anytime you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, and we're talking Lord, all caps, Yahweh is the, is the word. I believe, as many commentators believe, it is the pre-incarnate Christ. Jesus in the Old Testament. You say, well, time out. Jesus didn't come to be until he was born in Bethlehem. So how can he be in the Old Testament? Well, he always was. John chapter 1, verse 1, right? In the beginning was the, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things are made. Without him nothing was made that had been made. So he's going to come into flesh in that Bethlehem stable, but Jesus always has been. And in the Old Testament, I believe, we see him as the angel of the Lord. So here he is calling from this bush. Look at verse 5. Don't come any closer. God said, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. What made the place holy? Was there something special about the soil? Was there something special about the bush? Not at all. It was common stuff. Here's what made the place holy. God's presence. God was there. Therefore, it was holy. Well, let's just think about that for a second. When we become a Christian, right then and there, when we trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. God, that's just an... I mean, I can't even grasp that, can you? God lives within us. Therefore, where God's presence is, that is a, a holy place. So since God lives within us, that makes us, Christians, holy people. Every Christian not a specified number or a, or a top-notch group, but every Christian is called a saint, a holy one, a called-out one. So think about that. It's solemn, isn't it? When you go to work tomorrow morning, wherever you are, it's a holy place, and God wants to use that. This afternoon at home, it's a holy place. Wherever you are as a believer... God is. That makes it a holy place. Now, this is a great building. Would you agree this is a pretty cool building, right? I stopped out here uh, several times uh, as it was coming up. And, and i got to tell you, it's a great building. But it was made of common stuff. Um, concrete, siding, sheetrock, flooring, paint. And we just bought that from normal places. There was nothing special about the concrete or the paint or anything about that. What would make this building special? What would make this building holy? What makes the South Hills building holy? What makes the Robinson building 
holy? We're in the realms of it. What makes the Washington building holy? What makes the Wilkinsburg building holy? You. You do. That, that's what's going to set this place apart. It is not the building. Now, I get it. People will come because the building's here. God gets attention. He uses he uses a burning bush to get attention. He can use a building to get people's attention. But they're not going to stay unless you are ministering to them, unless you are serving, unless you are demonstrating that there is something different about following Jesus. This is not normal stuff. And we're, we're, we're different. We're changed. We're transformed, not because who we are, but because of what Jesus has done for us. That's what we want to talk about. But, by the way, God created you, and then he recreated you. Why did he do that? Why did he put you on this earth? What is your purpose? What's your passion? Are you accomplishing the thing God put you on this earth to do? I think, I think the most important question we can ask as a believer is, why am I here? God has given me something special. God's given me a great assignment. God's given gifts and resources and training. Everything just like Moses. God doesn't waste our time. So, so why does he have you here? What does he want you to do? Man, that's the question, isn't it? What does God want you to do? Don't miss that purpose. God used the bush to get Moses' attention, and then he uses it to refocus Moses' heart. Look at verse 6. Then he said, the place you're standing is holy. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now he knows why he's standing in a holy place. Because God is there. And God tells Moses, Moses, i got something great for you to do. I need you to go, and I need you to rescue those people. I put that seed in your heart 40 years ago. It was my will, but you stepped out of my timing. Now is the time. I want you to go deliver the people of Israel. I'm ready for you to go. Look at verse 10. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now it's time. And Moses breaks out in a happy dance, right? I'm so glad you finally showed up. I've been waiting for 40 years for this. been praying for 40 years that you would come and you would tell me today is the day. Let's go do it. doesn't quite happen that way, does it? Moses did what we often do. we got some excuses. I got some reasons why, you know, maybe God is, eh, maybe he missed, maybe he missed the calling. Maybe it's not quite the right thing. So Moses goes through five excuses. We'll go through these pretty quickly. Man, I can relate to every one of these. Here's the first one. Moses says, you know what? I'm not worthy. I'm, I can't do this. Who, who am I? Who am I? Then you're going to have me go deliver the children of Israel. That's not me. Look at verse 12. God answers every question. Chapter 3, verse 12. God said, you're right, Moses. On your own, you're nothing. But what? I will be what? I will be with you. And when I'm with you, that's all you need. 
And this will be a sign to you that it, uh, that it is I who have, who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Here, you know what God's saying? Moses, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you can take this one to the bank, I guarantee you, you're going to go deliver them, you're going to survive, and you're going to come right back here and worship me on this mountain. Who are you? You know, you're just Moses, but I am with you, and I'll give you everything you need to do what I'm calling you to do. Moses said, well, that's good. You've answered the question, who am I? But here's the next question, who are you? You're going to be with me, but who are you? And Moses is really saying, you know, God, I just don't know if you're enough. That's a pretty big assignment. I don't know if you're enough. Look at verse uh, 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what's his name? Who is he? And what do I tell them? In verse 15, God said to, uh, said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, or look at verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent you. Uh, in Hebrew, the word I am means to be. It is, uh, it's self-existent. So when God uses that word to be, he says, I am. When we use that word, the word Yahweh, and you know what that word means? He is. He, he's it. God tells Moses, I, I, you don't need a letter of recommendation. You don't have to have my resume. resume. I can't go any higher than myself. This is as high as it gets. I am who I am. You just tell them, I am a sin. So God told Moses to go to gather the, the leaders of Israel and tell them, I am who I am. I am has sent you. Moses said, okay, that's good, but i got to see a couple more questions. Some more excuses. You know, I know who I am. You're with me, and uh, you're saying that you're I am. But what will other people say? How are they going to know to follow you? I mean, they've been in captivity for 430 years. So God demonstrates his power. The first thing he does, he has a, Moses has a staff. Remember, he's a shepherd. Tells him to throw the staff on the ground. Moses throws it on the ground. And it becomes a snake. Moses is scared of the snake, and he runs from it. And then God says, go pick up the snake by the tail. I always think that's pretty, pretty crazy, right? So Moses ran from it, and God says, go pick it up. So Moses does. That's a great act of faith. So he picks the snake up by the tail, turns it back into a, a staff. Then he takes his hand. He says, put your hand in your cloak. He does. He brings it out. His hand is, 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 uh, has leprosy. It's white. Put it back in, puts it back in, brings it out. It's just like it was before. And God says, here are some signs. I, I, I am all powerful. I got you covered. I will make sure they understand who I am. And even if they don't believe that, if they don't believe those signs, then when you go to the Nile, go get some water out of the Nile, pour it on the ground, and it will turn into blood. If they don't believe those signs, I'll have something else. God's going to demonstrate his power, God tells Moses. Moses said, okay, but I got a couple more excuses. I, 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 just don't, I just don't have what it takes. I really don't have what it takes. Look at verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, Oh, Lord, I, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since I have spoke. I love that. I wasn't eloquent before you started talking to me, and you haven't fixed anything while we've been talking here. I'm still not eloquent. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Now, some people will say, Well, Moses had this speech impediment. 
Don't think that's the issue at all. Remember, Moses was trained in the best schools of Egypt. Uh, in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, when Stephen is getting ready to be stoned, he's the first Christian martyr, he's getting ready to be stoned, and Stephen is telling the history of Israel, and he says, Moses was educated all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So I don't think it's a speech impediment. Here's what I think Moses is saying. Look, you want me to go talk to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's a sharp guy. And he is surrounded by the wisest men in all of Egypt. And I just don't think that quickly. I'm not quick-witted. I'm not going to be able to respond as quickly as I need to. You ever have that issue? You're talking to someone, and you're, you have a good argument going on, and then uh, about you leave them, about an hour later you say, oh, man, I wish I had said that. That would have been a good one. That's what Moses is saying here. I, I think I'm going to think my best thoughts after, after it's over. I'm not quick-witted. And by the way, God, I've been out here with sheep for 40 years. I'm a little rusty. The shepherding thing's not quite intellectually stimulating for me. And you want me to go speak to Pharaoh? I just don't think I can do it. So God says, look, I'm going to take care of you. Look what he says in verse 11. Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight, makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will, I'm going to be with you. I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. Moses gets to his final excuse. By the way, the rest of the excuses were smoke screens. Here's the final excuse. You know what it is? God, I don't want to go. I just don't want to do it. Let's just cut to the chase. Bottom line is, no, I'm not going to go. I don't want to do it. After Moses says that, remember, he's writing this. He says in uh, uh, verse 15, God's anger burned against him. Now, Moses just gives that one line. We don't know exactly how that happened. But Moses was saying, when I said that, I felt in a palpable way God's anger toward me. I felt God's displeasure on me. I experienced it. And God says, Moses, look, you are out of excuses. I, Aaron, your brother, he's three years older. He's on his way to meet you. You don't think you're quick-witted enough? Okay, that's fine, but that's not going to be an excuse. I will surround you with the people you need to do what I'm calling you to do. Aaron will speak for you. You just give Aaron what... I'm going to give you what to say. You give Aaron what to say. You're going to be like a god to Aaron. You're going to tell him what to say, and he's going to speak for you. And now Moses is out of excuses. By the way, what excuses do you use? What is your excuse to not do what God's calling you to do? What is it? Whatever it is, and there may be some good ones, some whoppers, but whatever it is, you know what it really is for every one of us? I don't want to. I just don't want to. It's not fitting in my lifestyle. I don't want to do it. God has great things for us. Man, God has things that make life meaningful and purposeful and satisfying. That's what we want all along. 
we can't do that unless we're doing what God's called us to do. So we've got to cut all the excuses and allow God to be God. Allow Him to, to speak through us, to work through us, to be with us, to surround us with the people that's needed to do what He's calling us to do. So Moses is on his way now to Egypt. He has with him his wife. He has with him uh, his two sons. And I guess Aaron's with him. It's not saying the text, but Aaron would be with him. He goes to his father-in-law and says, um, I want, he doesn't tell him he's going to go, he doesn't tell him anything about the meeting with God. He doesn't tell him he's going to go deliver the children of Israel. He just says, uh, I want to go back to Egypt to see if my family's still there. So his father-in-law blesses him and says, take off. And so they are on their way. Now just think about this. They are on their way. The excuses are over. They're on their way. And then something happens. Something happens that to me is, is like, where did this come from within the text? And, and the, the big point here is that God, when he calls us to do something, there may be some remedial work that he needs to do along the way. Look at verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskins, and touched Moses' feet. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, you're a bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Now you think, what just happened there? He's on his way. God called him. Those verses just seem out of, out of order, right? God has some remedial work to do with Moses. Turn back to Genesis chapter 15. Here's where it all starts. The covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham. The Abrahamic covenant. That was when Israel became God's covenant people. We're back in Genesis. We're back with Abraham. Uh, chapter 15, Genesis, verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. Thick, dreadful darkness came over him. And then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants... Check this out. This, is, this has now happened in Egypt, but God was saying this to Abraham back in Genesis 15. Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will, they will come out with a great possession. God tells that to Abraham in Genesis 15. That's getting ready to happen in Exodus. God makes this covenant with Abraham, but he also makes a sign of the covenant. And the sign of the covenant is circumcision. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant so that every time man and a woman came together in intimacy, there would be the reminder that it was God who is their God and it was God allowing them to have children. It was God who was blessing the nation. It was God who was in charge. It was the sign of the covenant. So every Israelite male had to be circumcised on a certain day. Now, Moses was raised as an Egyptian. And the Egyptians practiced, a lot of other countries practiced circumcision, but it wasn't, didn't mean anything to him as far as a sign of a religious covenant. So he was already circumcised. Not as a sign of the covenant, but that was just the custom of, it, of uh, Egypt. But he had not circumcised his sons. The sign of the covenant. Moses, 
you're going to go deliver this covenant nation, the sign of the covenant is circumcision, and you have not even circumcised your sons. So God's getting ready to kill them. Now, there's something going on here. That, that would have taken, a conversation would have taken place. Something would have happened. Because Zipporah, his wife, understands what's going on. And quickly she moves to action, circumcises the sons, and says, Man, Moses, that was close. You are a bridegroom of blood to me. Don't let that happen again. Think about that. God called him, put him on the journey, but had to do some remedial work along the way. So, here's the question. Is there anything in your past that needs addressed so you can move into the future? Is there any remedial work that God needs to do with you? See, we learn from Moses, God can be moving us forward with this great calling, but part of the great calling and part of the preparation is, hey, take time out. You've got to deal with some things back here. You see, I've got great things for you to do. I want, I want, to, I want, I want to shine through you, but, but you've got some things going on in your life that's clouding the light. You need to go back. So think about that. And we've got some great, don't you agree, we've got some great things to do here throughout our campuses and here in Robinson. Man, this is a strategic place. God's got some great things to do. He uses instruments like us, but He wants clean instruments, sharp instruments. So when, you, when you're putting forth a message of salvation and a message of forgiveness and you're telling someone God can forgive you and cleanse you and transform you, but you're not dealing with forgiveness in your past. It could be an issue, couldn't it? God's transforming, man. He's all-powerful. You need to trust in Christ, but you're not trusting in Christ for some things. You've got a sin going on over here. Maybe no one else knows about it. God said, hey, time out. Yeah, you're my messenger, and I've got some stuff for you. Some remedial work to do. We all got to figure out what that might be in our lives. Okay, one more thing. God's calling comes with challenges. I've used this before in another sermon. Easy does not mean right, and hard does not mean wrong. So, you can read this in chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Let me just summarize it real quick for sake of time. Moses goes and he gathers the Israelite leaders. He lets them know that God has called them. It's time, God's heard their cry. It's time for them to be delivered from Egypt. Um, <clears throat> they go to Pharaoh. And they say, let us go. We want to go into the, into the desert, uh, the wilderness for some time, and we want to a journey, a three-day journey, and, and we want to uh, worship God there. And Pharaoh says, God who? I don't know the God. And do you think, you, you, you are my workforce, and i got a lot of projects going on. If you think I'm going to let this big workforce go a three-day journey and miss three days, of, three days out and three days back, and you're not going to miss six days of work, no, you can't go. 
Absolutely not. In fact, just because you were bold enough and brazen enough to ask that question, then I've been providing the straw. You guys have been making bricks out of straw and mud. We've been providing the straw for you, but no more. We're done with that. You go get your own straw. And the quota still is, stays the same. You have to make the same number of bricks and go collect the straw. And when the Israelite leaders heard this, they knew they were in trouble. There's no way. There was no way they could make that same quota and go get the straw. They were barely making it as it was. So they told Moses, Moses, what are you doing? You're trouble. You said you're from God? They said, it is as, Moses, it is as if you have put a sword in the Egyptians' hands to kill us. Moses goes and says, God, what is up here? I thought you called me to do this. There were challenges along the way. It turned, it turned from bad to worse. God just says, Moses, stick with it. I am who I am. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to deliver you. So God goes and tells the people that. Verse 9, God reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their what? Discouragement. Cruel bondage. They were in cruel bondage. And then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people go out of the country. And Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, even my own people won't listen to me, then why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? God, I'm not sure you're in this anymore. Man, I think that is a lesson that every believer needs to hear clearly. When God calls you to do something, it doesn't mean it will always be smooth. When God calls you to do something, there will be some challenges. And we need to hear that because so often as believers, we have been taught or we get in our mind, boy, if God's in it, he's going to just fling open every door, every issue, not a problem. And then when the door is shut, or something doesn't happen that we say, oh, God can't, God can't be in it. It's hard. There are going to be challenges along the way. Don't think just because it's hard, God's not in it. Remember, He doesn't waste our time. That's what He uses. So, um, since we're inaugurating this building, dedicating this really not really dedicating the building, but dedicating ourselves. I was just thinking back. I've, I've been at chapel for a long time, 20-whatever 20, 20 years, 26 or 7 years now. And I've never thought seriously about leaving the church. But I came close when we moved into the worship center. We had been planning the worship center, getting ready for the worship center. Man, I did all these sermons. We met just like this. We met in a room just like this. And... Uh, we did the sermon on Acts, and we talked about the community of change and doing all this stuff, and it's not about the building. The building's just brick and sheetrock and stuff, and we're gonna, it's about us and the whole bit. And I thought, boy, we're ready. And we went over to the worship center. Oh, man, it was the hardest time of ministry, and there have been some hard times. People started complaining. Where are the windows? I don't know where the windows are. We never planned on windows here. You guys have got it covered. Here, you got some windows, right? Um, where's the cross? 
Oh, we don't have a cross. Oh, I know. We got a new worship center. We're going to be like those churches that don't have a cross. And now you're going to water down the gospel. You just want a lot of people to come. That's why we built this big thing. We don't have a cross. We had never had a cross. Never. In our first facility, behind the pulpit was a baptistry, and back on the wall was written, He is risen. Our, our, uh, our roots didn't have a cross. We had a cross on the very top of our building, but that wasn't enough. It needed to be in the worship center. I got so tired of hearing, where's the cross? We just put crosses on either side. Two of them. You want a cross? We got two of them. There was, there was this expectation that wasn't met. And it'll be the same thing here. You know why? Because Satan doesn't want this thing to work. He would like to crater this thing from the inside out. He'd like to say, man, you guys thought that was a strategic location? Well, let me show you. And there'll be complaints. Something won't work right. Something will happen. Sometimes it's not the building, it's the people, right? Not friend, you guys aren't friendly enough. You don't serve me enough. You're not meeting my needs. Now, I just got to say this. If you come to any campus, Wilkesburg, Washington, South Hills, or Robinson, if you come to there because of the building, wrong reason. If you come there because of the people, we're going to disappoint you sooner or later. We We don't have it in us to be your God. There's only one God. And that's why we always got to be pointing toward him. Should we be instruments and clean instruments? You bet. But if you're coming here for any other reason than to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it's the wrong reason. Will we use all of our buildings to attract people like a burning bush? Yeah. And then when they come, share the message of Christ. But easy... It won't be. Smooth sailing? Never. But God working through you, doing His work in you, giving you the power you need, man, that's when. That's when you see some cool things happen. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask everyone at the campuses to stand. I know I'm a little over time, but you guys will hang with me here. Uh, Every uh, campus to stand. And I'm going to invite Tom Rojan up, our campus uh, pastor here. I'm going to invite Greg DeVore, who uh, four years ago we needed an elder at all of our campuses. Greg was one of the first to raise his hand and said, I'll go to Robinson. Been traveling to Robinson for four years. Greg, come on up. Jim Bruni is another elder here. Uh, this is Jim's stomping grounds, and uh, we're so uh, happy to have Jim as part of our elders. elders. Remember, it's the Bible Chapel Elders overseeing everything, not just here in Robinson, but everything, and we're excited for that. And I see some, uh, I should have done this the first service, forgive me, I apologize for those who were here on the building team in the first service. You guys come on up, I see Mike Swisher, I see Dave Stoudon, you guys come on up. Uh, Al, come on up, I want you up here too. Al was originally on the building team, so you guys come up. Anybody else on the building team, come up. You guys have done such a fantastic job. Can't tell you how much we appreciate all your work. You guys gather around here tight. 
And then uh, if everyone here on the Robinson campus would just come and gather around. We're going we're gonna to pray. Just come on up. Uh, get as close as you can. And we're going to dedicate ourselves to God. We'll, 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 we'll mention the building along the way, if that's okay. But we want to dedicate ourselves to God. Come on up. Again, Robinson, uh, here in Washington, Wilkinsburg, South Hills, you guys stand up. And, and uh, this is the Bible chapel. Father, we, uh, we bow before you. We acknowledge you as I am who I am, the great I am. You don't, you, don't, you don't need us to accomplish anything, and yet you choose to use us to accomplish your purposes on this earth. Father, we want to be clean, sharp instruments. We want to deal with the things in our life we need to deal with so your power can flow through us unhindered. We want to be able to speak clearly the message that transforms lives. We want to be able to do that with our lips. We want to demonstrate that through our lives. Father, we want this strategic place. We believe you've given us this land. You've provided it. You have allowed us to have it through the generous giving of all the Bible Chapel congregation. This building has been uh, raised from the ground, and uh, we're here today, and we're excited to be in it. Man, it's exciting times. But Father, this building will get old really fast. But you don't. And when our focus is on you, when you're re-energizing us, when you are pumping the passion into us through your Spirit, when you're allowing us to be the people you've called us to be, great things are going to happen here. Only because of you. And so we are dedicating ourselves to you. We pray for Tom. Man, we're thankful for Tom and Amanda. We also know that Satan loves to bring down leaders. And so we're asking that you protect Tom and Amanda. Be with their marriage. Keep them strong. Be with them as parents. Help them to be godly parents. Teach the, their boys what it looks like to follow hard after Jesus. I pray, Father, you'd be with... We thank you so much for Greg and what he's done here. We thank you for Jim and what he's doing here as well. Be with them. Keep them strong. Be with their marriages. Again, Satan loves to crack us and I pray, Father, that you would just take away all the unrealistic expectations that a, a building can never meet, that people can never meet, and our expectation would just turn to a worship of you, an exaltation of you, from an expectation to an exaltation of who you are, what you can do, how you transform us not just here in Robinson, Lord, but across our campuses. May we be a people who love you and serve you and demonstrate that with all of our lives. Give us that purpose and passion in our lives to go hard after it. Do the remedial work you have to do and help us, Lord, to know when the challenges come. That doesn't mean we're on the wrong path, but you use everything to prepare us for that next step of the journey. So here in Robinson Day, we're excited to dedicate and rededicate ourselves to you. And we want this to be a holy place.
because you are here. We want that same thing in Wilkinsburg, and we want that same thing in Washington, and we want that same, same thing in the South. It's holy places, not because of a building, but because you are here. That's our prayer, and we pray it in the name, the powerful name, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And everyone across the campus has said, Amen. Amen.